But sometimes we take the familiar out and we talk about it. It's helpful to put it back into context and kind of look at the whole of what is going on and what's being said and, and why. And that's my goal for the day, to kind of recontextualize where we are, what, what Paul is trying to do. And then we'll draw some good lessons out of this. I mean, there, there's some stuff in here that I've just, boy, the last few days I just pondered. I think, man, what are we seeing? What's happening in our world? And how descriptive these words are of what goes on in, in our lives. So let, let's start with prayer, Lord. We're going to just join together this morning, give you thanks for bringing us together on a, um, a Sunday that I know I've been looking forward to for a long time. It's been a long time since we've been able to just say, open up doors, come on in, um, and feel confident in, the, the pre- in your presence. And I hope we can today just uh, release any fears into your hands and just come and worship and, uh, and recognize who you are uh, in our lives. I know you're going to speak to us today, and you're going to speak to a lot of what we see happening in our world, and I'm thankful for that. Lord, give us uh, your wisdom. We, we desperately need it in our world. Uh, it's a world where I, I don't hear your name uh, spoken often, and yet your name is the only name by which man might be saved. And so, Lord, help the church be bold in our world today, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Thank you. There's a good amen. So I'm going to start over here, chapter 7, and just make this note uh, to you that where we are in the context of of Romans is Paul is responding to a charge that's been leveled against not only him, but the Christians that make up the, uh, the church in Rome. The people making the charge are the Jews. Right? And the charge is, you, Paul, and you Christians talk about grace all the time, and it's as though you've taken the law and thrown it out. It's as though your message is that here comes Jesus, Jesus saves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus forgives you, and you're talking about all this forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. What about the law? Have you, have you abandoned it? Now, why this is important, and I want you to remember why this is so significant, is is Romans is not just a theological treaty. There's a lot of theology in it. But it's actually a, a, a missional mandate, right? What Paul is doing is he's preparing a church to go out into the world to make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. Um, if, if the quarantine has taught me one thing, uh, or if these riots have taught me one thing, it is the absolute need for the church to become way more bold than we've ever been. Um, because I, I do not hear the name of Jesus Christ being spoken at all. Not at all. Um, I, I made this observation last week in our message. You know, I, I grew up, many of us grew up through the early days of this, the civil rights movement. You remember that. And um, let me ask you this question. Who was Martin Luther King Jr.? He's a man who came, walked out in front of people with the Bible, right? And he says, God calls us, all men of all colors, to love one another in the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what God calls us to do. Have you seen anyone with the Bible of late? I see riots again. 
<laughs> yeah, President Trump. Um, but I don't see I don't see writers of Bibles in hand. I don't see people standing up saying, "Hey, let's talk about who God is and what He calls us to." And um, wow, apart from apart from Jesus Christ, there is no culture that can survive. So. I, I've one of the things that's being impressed upon me during the time frame that we're in is, hey, church, we, we really have been kind of sitting back like we're, we're happy. Things are good in our lives. We're going to have to be a pretty bold force in our world today. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's going into Rome. And if you talk about a culture that's lost and broken, that, that's Rome at the time that Paul is writing this. Um, and, and so he's got to prepare the church to go out and be this bold voice for Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. Who comprised the church in Rome? Who, who made up the members? Well, when you look at history, here's what we know is that most of the members of the churches that made up Rome, remember their house churches, came out of synagogues. They, they were former Jews. Now, you can take a Jew out of the synagogue Here's my question. Can you take the synagogue out of a Jew? Right? Paul recognizes that, yes, you Jews have converted. You've become Christians. You've, you've actually made, you've connected some dots. You've realized that, oh, my goodness, all these, all these Old Testament promises actually line up with who Jesus Christ is. And you said, yeah, he is the Messiah. But you still harbor inside of yourselves these Jewish tendencies. And uh, part of what the Jews uh, grew up with, I mean, if I'm a Jewish kid growing up in a synagogue, I grow up believing that my identity is in the law, right? The law defines me. It's what separates me from the rest of the world. The law is what I try to keep in order to have a righteous life before God. And, and as I'm righteous before God, God is, is in turn good t- to me. So... How do I view Gentiles? If I'm a Jew, how do I view Gentiles? I otherize them, right? You're unclean. You're uncircumcised. You have no respect for the law. You just live these lives as though you can do whatever you want. We, over here, the Jews, we, we live, try to live righteous lives. So, so rather than try to reach the Gentiles... What, what, what happens is the, the Jewish church says, we're going to retreat. We're going to build a big bubble. We're going to live inside of our bubble. And we're basically going to say to hell with the rest of the world, right? Well, you're not, you will not make any progress whatsoever as the church of Jesus Christ if you otherize people and you, you withdraw and put a big bubble around you. That's not what God called us to be. He said, no, I, I need you to go out into the culture and love people who are different than you, and, and yes, who have, they don't even, they have no, no cognition of the law whatsoever. I need you to love them. So this question, where does the law fit into our lives, is critical to Paul. He, if he doesn't answer it and answer it well, the, the church is going to continue to just kind of withdraw. We'll, we'll be, we used to be Jews in a bubble, now we're Christians in a bubble. And he's I'm going to pop your bubble, get you out into the world so that you're making a difference in people's lives. So chapter 6, chapter 7 are really continuous. 
And uh, we're going to pick up at the beginning of chapter 7 where he's, again, he's answering this question, where does the law fit into our lives for the purpose of really helping push people out of this bubble? Now, I'll warn you, there's a lot of theology in this. So I'll try to go through it, you know, pretty systematically, and we can, we can try to capture that. Um, so the, the chapter begins, chapter 7, verse 1, begins with the word or, right? So or do you not know brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. All right? Now he's, he's going to play with this a little bit. Don't take your eye off of this. He's going to be answering this question, where does the law fit into our lives? I like the way he starts by just kind of putting this thought on the table. Isn't it true that the law is binding upon me only as long as I'm alive? Why is that true? What, what happens when I die? Now where does the law fit into my life? Well, let me ask it as a question. I die. How am I judged? Or, let me say it a little bit differently. Am I judged on the basis of the law? And if so, to what extent? What, what, what degree of leniency does the judge have? Now, here, here's my discovery. American theology. Just If I go out into the street with a microphone, I just start talking to people, and I ask them the question, hey, what happens to you when you die? Boom. Majority of Americans say something like this. You go to heaven. Okay. I pull my microphone back. I'm like, on what basis? How, how, what, how do you know that? Like, you're telling me I'm going to go to heaven, but, but on what basis do I get to go to heaven? What's the typical American answer? Probably two things. Well, I didn't kill anyone. <laughs> and secondly, I tried to live a good life. I, I really, I did. I tried. Okay. So what happens when somebody walks in the, into the room and says, hey, here's the deal. When you die, you're going to actually be judged on the basis of the law, and there's no leniency. And, and here's the degree to which your judgment will, will, will hold fast. Did you fulfill every part of it perfectly? Now, um, Americans rail at this. No, that's ridiculous. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. God doesn't expect me to be perfect. I'm like, how how do you know that? On what basis do you make that claim? Because in the scriptures, the basis is this. You shall be perfect even as my Father in heaven is perfect. That's the basis. So the point is, where, where does the law fit in, into our life? Well, Paul, Paul wants you to get this into your head. The law condemns you. It causes you to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm in big... If that's the basis, like perfection, and I'm going to be judged on the basis of that, I'm in big trouble, right? I need help. That's the whole point of the law. The law is intended not to save you, but to, to do what? To, to point me to the one... Who has saved me? Namely, to Jesus Christ. So he's really putting that on the table at the very beginning of this. He's saying, you're you're Jewish. You know the law. And on the basis of the law, you recognize that it's binding as long as you're alive. It becomes the basis for judgment when you die. So, back to the 
back to the central question. What about while I'm alive? While I'm alive, where does the law fit into my life? Go to verse 2. He uses a marriage analogy. He goes, okay, well, let's think of it like this. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. That's what the law says. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Okay? Accordingly, she will, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. That's, that's just the law. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So he's, he's playing off the, the, the first statement that he's put on the table. The law is binding on me as long as I'm, I'm alive. Let's use a little analogy here. And he uses this marriage analogy. Hey, I get married as long as I'm alive and I'm, I'm, my husband's alive, my wife's alive. Under the law, you know, I, I have an obligation. Now my husband dies, I'm free from that. And, I, and I, I now am not breaking the law by marrying another man. Okay, so that's his analogy. Go to verse 3, um, or go to verse 4. This is the key verse. And this is actually shocking, I think, to the, the initial hearers of these words. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. There's a lot popped into that. So this is kind of, if you're looking for kind of the heart of this chapter, here it is. What is he saying is you've died. Where does the law fit into your life? Well, you've, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? So that so that you may belong to another. Does it mean that I, as a Christian, just kind of dismiss the law altogether? Not really, right? Well, the law still exists. And it exists as that standard by which I will be judged. So when you say I've died to the law, what does it really mean? What are you really talking about? He's not saying that the law went away. Not saying that the law doesn't no longer exist or doesn't matter. But what he's saying is that the standard by which I will be judged, right, has now changed. I I die to the law as that standard by which I will be judged because I've died in Christ. I will belong to him and be judged not by what I've done, but what? By what he's done. Right? So something happens when I become a Christian. The law doesn't go away, but its role, its function in my life uh, is dramatically different than the way the law is being understood and practiced as Jews. Uh, as a Jew, I see the law as my salvation. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I see the law as that which tells me I need help. I, I have no hope. And so I come into a relationship, a living relationship, with Jesus Christ. I'm no longer married to the law as, as my, my, my partner unto salvation. I'm married to Jesus Christ as my partner unto salvation. 
And I love the fact that he, he's playing off of this marriage analogy because, you know, you think about marriage laws inside of Judaism, and even within our culture, uh, there's a covenantal aspect to marriage, right? And I, as I enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, there's, there's a covenant that he's making with me. I will be your God. You will be my son. And so I, my dependency for salvation is no longer the basis for it is no longer can I perfectly fulfill this law, but rather the, the, the fulfillment of the law on my behalf uh, by Jesus Christ. Now something, something beautiful happens inside of this relationship with Jesus Christ, and I don't want you to miss this. So pick up the second half of verse number four. Um, we're, we're married to Jesus Christ. We belong to him. It's through him that I'm going to, to find salvation. But it's also through this relationship with Jesus Christ that I begin to do something. Something changes in my life. Look at these words. In order that we may bear fruit for God. I want you to think about this. In order that you may bear fruit for God. Um, this is kind of interesting. What, what is it that causes me to live in a way that's pleasing to, to the Lord? Is it the law? Or is it actually grace? And um, here, here's, here's an observation that Paul is making. The law is consistently telling you what you should not do. Right? You shall not this. You shall not. You shall not. And so if I try to live according to the law, I'm always, I'm kind of the trajectory of my life is, is a, a movement away from the things that I shouldn't do. What does grace do? It's the opposite of that. It moves me towards that which I should do, how I should live, right? And th- this, is, this is something that you, you really find unique within Christianity is this, this idea that, you know, when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, some of the things that drew me no longer have meaning. And I be, begin to be drawn towards things that have new meaning in my life. Not because I have to. Not because, boy, you, you better do this. You have to do this. Thou shalt do this. But because, what? Inside of this relationship with Jesus Christ, my heart starts to change. And I start to love the things that Jesus loves and hate the things that, that God hates, right? And so it begins to change who I am. And, and that, this is why verse 4 is so central to this chapter. It's at the heart of it. Paul, Paul's really saying, look, Christianity is distinct from Judaism. Judaism is, is about you trying to pursue this law. Christianity is about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's inside of that relationship that your hearts are going to change. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to start loving the people that hate you. You will start loving the people that hate you. Think about this context of of our world today. Um, How different is it from Rome? Do you know who Paul was when he he wrote this? Do you know what phrase he used to describe himself? I'm a doulos, I'm a slave. Slave. Was slavery alive and well in Rome when Paul wrote these words? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, true or false, what Paul said is, because the Romans are wrong, 
And because the social structure of Rome is wrong, <clears throat> we the Christians need to hold riots. We the Christians, we need to uh, object to this social structure. True or false? I don't see it in here. Why not? Talk about someone putting a, 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 a knee on the neck. I mean, we, we all watched that video. It's horrible. It's horrifying. You talk about, you talk about uh, horrifying. Let's, let's talk about this. While Paul is writing these words, the Roman emperors would take Christians, literally, dip them in oil, tie them up on stakes, and when they would have parties at night, they'd light them on fire because that's, that, they were the, kind of the party favors. They'd burn them up. So, so true or false, Paul said, <clears throat> people, I got a video. To, look at this. They're burning this, this person up. He's a human being. He's someone's father. He's, he's someone's son. They're burning him up. This is wrong. We're gonna, we need to go and overthrow this Roman government. True or false? Paul said that. Oh, actually, in Romans 13, he said, submit to those who are governing authorities. Well, why isn't he calling for riots? Why isn't he calling for, for people to overthrow the government? Because listen to me, you cannot create a political structure that changes human beings. You cannot do that. Apart from heart change, what does the law do? It does not change me. It can change me. And so what, what the Christians were interested in is we need to change culture. That's true. This, this Roman culture that we're a part of, it is an absolute train wreck mess. We got people enslaving other people. We got people killing people. We, we, have, we have people practicing pedophilia in the streets openly without any shame whatsoever. We got to change this thing. How are we going to do it? Through the law. No. We have to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ because apart from that, the product of the man's heart is always evil. Always evil. Now, my contention is that as you get past verse 4, you're going to find yourself in interesting territory. Paul actually describes just how dark our humanity can become. Just how dark our humanity can become. All right? Um, let me preface this, by the way. Kind of an interesting moment yesterday. I went to the hospital check in on Jeff Bexton. Jeff, many of you know, has been battling cancer. He uh, went in for surgery, had this, this tumor removed. It's quite a surgery. My goodness, quite a surgery. Um, anyway, he came out of the surgery, got home, uh, dehydrated, got really tired. They put him back in the hospital and uh, they're trying to, to get him back home now. So I, Misty was up in his room. You can only have one visitor at the in a room at the hospital now. So she came down. We we're going to trade places. And I said, Misty, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I'm real tired, um, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, Jeff's doing good. He's probably going to get sprung out of the hospital anytime. This is the interesting thing to me. She says, you know, yesterday I was here at the hospital, and um, I'd made the comment. I said, do you, th you think I should take Jeff a bullet up to the room so he can bite on it for his pain? Because uh, they're taking him off the morphine, you know, and putting him on Percocet. And she goes, well, it's funny you mentioned a bullet. She says, there might be one out in the parking lot, because yesterday while, I, while my car was parked out, somebody literally shot my window out. 
And I'm like, well, that's awesome. You go to the hospital and somebody shoots your window out? Seriously? How dark is our human nature? How dark is it? Well, here's what Paul says. And this, is, and this to me, is really interesting stuff. And, and most people miss it because we read it too fast. Slow it down. Just go to verse 5 and look at this. While we were living in the flesh... Now, this just means I'm apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? I don't have that. While I'm living in the flesh, our sinful passions, now look at these words, aroused by the law. The actual Greek word here, by the way, uh, would, 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 in a raw sense, be translated this way. It's a, our sinful passions were energized by the law. So that they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now keep looking at this, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way, the way of the Spirit, not the old way, the way of the written code. Now I want you to hang on to this thought. This is really interesting to me. What, what... Look at this. Where does the law fit into our lives? What does it do to me? If I'm, if I'm a person a, a, that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the, the law is no longer my, my marriage partner. It doesn't get me to heaven, right? But it still plays a role, right? It still continues to tell me how much I need Jesus Christ. It still continues to guide, to at least guide me. If I'm outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, Here's what Paul's saying. You, you have the law. You think it's, you it's going to cause you to do good things. It won't. It actually arouses this darkness inside of you and causes you to, to become even worse. The law, think about this. The law causes you to become even worse. Look at, look at uh, this next section, or at least a little bit of it. It says, well, so, so what should we say? Verse 7. The law is sin? Well, no. No. Meganoito. Is the, the Greek here. By, by absolutely no means. By no means. Okay. He says, um, I would not have known sin, uh, yet if I had not, if it, if it had not had been for the law. The law shows me my sin. Right? For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. That's, that's the, the role of the law. It's telling me my sin. But, here's the interesting part. Kind of, kind of picking up on this. But sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced inside of me all kinds of covetousness. Please, please don't miss these words. Sins produced inside of me all kinds of covetousness. Here's what's going on. Our old man, when it hears the law, in other words, when God says, thou shalt not, our old man doesn't say, oh, I better stop doing that, God. This is, this, this is breaking God's heart. That's not what happens. Our old man, when it hears the law, you know what it does? It looks back at God and says, who are you to tell me what to do? That's what our old man does. You, you don't tell me what to do. I do. I'm my own God. I do what I want to do. And so the law in a very strange, this is very odd language, but in a very odd way, what the law is doing inside of me, apart from Jesus Christ, is it's actually stirring me up to, to be even worse than I was before I even heard the law. It's caused me to become worse. 
It, not only will it not save you, but it produces in me the desire to do more stuff wrong. Now, I made this note to myself because I think it's interesting. The, the word that he uses here. Sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You know what the function of riots are? Well, I want. This is what we want. You had better. Covetousness. This is what I desire. I want what that what you have. Where does that come from? From, from a pretty dark place. My favorite quote of the week. This guy is talking a little bit about what he sees going on in our world. And he goes, we're talking about, you know, skin color. He says, what we're dealing with here is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And I'm like, that's right. It doesn't matter what color of pigmentation my skin is. What's going on is a sin issue. It's about the law. It's about what I'm married to. It's about, do I know or do I not know Jesus Christ? Because apart from knowing him, you can change all the laws. You know, and here, what are you going to end up with? Sheer chaos is what you're going to end up with. Um, and, 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 I, and I believe that. So then Paul goes on. He says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Uh, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Um, I think that's interesting. When the law came, sin came alive and then I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. This promise that, yes, through these commandments, you can have life. The opposite is true. You'll simply have death. Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. And Paul's now to that moment where he's knocked down to the ground by the light and the voice of Jesus Christ, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's there on the ground recognizing, oh my goodness, I have been trying to be righteous. I thought that I'm doing God a favor, and in reality, I am not. And so what happens is the law kills us. Um, You've heard me say this many times, and I really hold to it is the work of the church, one of the big functions of the church in the world today, is killing people. That just sounds bad, doesn't it? It just sounds terrible. But it's one of the prominent works of the church. The function of the law is to kill people. It's to kill our old Adam. It's to say, as long as you're living in your old flesh, in your old Adam you'll just you'll get further and further and further away from God. That old Adam must be put to death by God. And when he puts us to death, now he raises us up as a new person. And now we're in that relationship with God that's capable of producing good fruit. So he kind of concludes in verse 12. He says, so the, so the law is holy. It is. And the commandment is holy. And it's righteous, and it's, and it's good. Uh, verse 13, did, did that which is good then bring death? No, by no means. It was sin. Producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin through the commandment, might be sinful beyond measure. 
And then he makes this statement, and we'll pick up with this next week. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. And what will follow are the words that we know. I mean, what chapter 7 is famous for is a Paul who now looks back on his life and is able to say, um, here's what I see when I look in the mirror. A person that says, I want to do the law, I want to do the law, I want to do the law, and a person that does the opposite. And he asks this hard question, who, who will set me free from that? And of course, it's, it's only Jesus Christ. So I think we'll close there and get, get, get myself ready to go, go preach. This is going to be a big preaching day. I better get some roller skates on. My goodness. But I'm gonna, it'll be fun. This will be a good day. Uh, we start a new series today. Kind of excited about that. We're calling it QBQ, not barbecue, which I wish I had a little bit of this morning. But QBQ. Here's what it is: the question behind the question, the question behind the question. It's going to be a good series. We'll, we'll enjoy it. Let's let's pray, Lord. As we close out this morning, um, I just want to give you thanks again for this day and what it means to be able to. Start that return to um, a building. Lord, help us to never return to um, just a way of life that takes uh, our faith for granted or even takes this for granted uh, because we we can't. It's not. Lord, this is precious in our life, the opportunity that we have to, to be your people together. And we need each other. And Lord, the world needs, oh my goodness, the world needs the church to be more bold than ever before. And that's my prayer, Lord, is that you give us that sense of boldness in our world that says, um, listen, here's the message of the Bible. It's different than the message of the world. Very different than the message of the world. It's about change. It's about changed hearts. And Lord, until we see that, our culture will continue to remain an absolute mess. And so give us bold voices, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it again. Amen. All right. Well, I hope to see you in worship at some point here along the way. And uh, I hope that your week is a good week. Is it Fritz? Fritz, remind me of this. Is it uh, Don Moller's? No. No, it's Connie Moller's 50th anniversary. Yeah, Connie's. And is Mo kind of tagging along with that? He's going along with it? And then it's Hayes' 50th anniversary too, Bob and Rita? Is yesterday? And is there like a drive through parade today? And together it's 100 years of marriage. Well, that, yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Is, are some of you guys going to do the parade in a drive through there? Do you honk? Do you let balloons go? What do you do? You throw oranges or what, what do you... I mean, <laughs> I've never been